Hello, this is Ben Seidensticker, one of your hosts for Uncommon Council. I'm joined with my co-host, Sam West. Hello again. All right, Sam, how are you feeling today? Good. It's a coming up towards the holiday season, so. Oh, yeah? What, what does that mean for you? Uh, not, not a whole lot this year, but. Not a whole lot, like, so less than previous years. Staying in town, not really taking any time off, but it'll be a productive time at work. No one will be in the office. Oh, okay. So you'll be holding down the fort while everybody else is gone. Cool. Yep. That's fun. Plenty of time to listen to some uh, obscure uh, public government meetings. Yeah, <laughs> get get through the day by listening to all the, the committee meetings in Madison. Awesome. Uh, speaking of committee meetings, that's what we talk about. This is Uncommon Council. If you haven't heard us before, we... Uh, digest and talk about the common council meetings for Madison, Wisconsin. Okay, so today uh, we got a number of things. It, it, I don't know if it felt this way to you, Sam. It felt like they just suddenly got more productive at the end of the year. Like there were just many items. Th yeah, this was a, a six-hour common council meeting. Um, you could tell yeah. they, were, they were tired by the end. <laughs> Absolutely. They were getting fed up they're getting a little, little uh, cranky <laughs> people will needed some breaks um they did a recess in the middle which is still one of my favorite words to use about adults so point of personal privilege point of personal privilege yeah wait what is that is that when you have to go to the bathroom or what that's what it's it's that's what it ends up meaning just mm -hmm. means i think that's the term personal privilege where they just take a 15 minute recess Okay, yeah. But yeah, it's pretty much just to go to the bathroom. Or... Right. Because, I mean, six hours, that's like teacher level steel bladders, you know? Like, yeah, that, I mean, it's a full day's, close to a full day's work. Yeah. And they all have full time, most of them have full time jobs. Right, right. And then they're <laughs> getting together and arguing on screens for even more time, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, yeah. So, uh, actual topics for today. Uh, we have a number of segments that we're trying on for size. The first one for today, our City of Madison resource highlight. So this episode, we're highlighting uh, some links that the City of Madison website has to various data sources. Uh, this is the operating budget sources by fund type, which I found very interesting. I'm bringing this up on the big screen here, Sam, in our high budget studio. Um, I don't know if you can see that there. I, I was su surprised. I, I guess in my mind, the revenue for the city just all came from property taxes. I was a little bit surprised how much came from other sources. Yeah, this this is interesting. I Because I had kind of always assumed that as well. Local revenues? Yeah, and I guess just kind of sharing for the, the audience what we're visually looking at there, it looks like about 17% of the operating budget comes from local revenues. So I, I would assume things like, you know, metro charges to get on the bus and uh, parking tickets and stuff like that is, is somehow all encapsulated into that. But that's a pretty big chunk of the budget there. And then 11% is intergovernmental. I assume that's like grants and things from the federal state governments. So that's another 11%. And then 72% in property taxes. So pretty substantial still. 
Yeah, and I know this was a big issue last year in 2020 because they stopped all parking fines and parking fees and parking structures. Mm -hmm. So the transportation department lost a lot of their revenue, um, which ended up being a big shift in how, how to balance the budget after that. Um, so it is interesting to see just where money is coming from. Good resource. Yeah, that is very interesting. Um, cool. So yeah, that'll be available in the description for today that folks can check out. Okay, uh, our next section here is just an opportunity to give our my co-hosts, because I come up with the agenda and get to plan a lot of stuff, I want you to have some dedicated time. Uh, Sam, do you have any co-host topics for today? Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of a shout out. Um, I'm sure I'm stealing stealing the thunder of the Common Council for the next meeting. Uh -huh. But the UW Women's Badger volleyball team won the national championship. Hey. They beat Nebraska. Wow. Okay. So the the Badgers are the best women's hockey team, but also now the best women's volleyball team. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just give them a shout out. And kind of cool to live in a city where your college team wins a national championship. Yeah. I, so I'll admit, I had, and admitting when you're ignorant, it's one of the principles of our show. Uh, I had no idea. Uh, so you were, do you follow? I am the most the... fair weather fan for certain sports. Okay. So women's volleyball. Yep. I've watched one game this season. All right. And it the, was the national championship. championship. <laughs> yeah. But let me tell you, I was invested. Nice. Yeah. I was the same way for the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I didn't know that's a championship. We were just trying to get a drink at the, the nitty gritty, but yeah, I met someone from Tennessee the day after the Bucks won the championship. Uh -huh. He's like, so are you a huge Bucks fan? I've watched three quarters of Bucks basketball in my life, <laughs> but they were win winning three quarters. Yeah, they did. They did great. So it's very cool. Uh, and but there are a lot of very loyal fans out there, which we're hopefully not alienating right now. Yeah, the, the stadium was packed with both Wisconsin and Nebraska fans. So yeah, they had a lot of support. A lot of people traveling from a long way. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty cool. Well, thanks for sharing that, Sam. Uh, that's very encouraging. Um, now I've just got in the back of my head, maybe there are other things Wisconsin's and Madison and the Badgers and all those folks are really good at that I don't even know. Who knows? Okay, our next topic for today, wrong answers only. So we played this last time. The point of the game is that even if you know what this thing is, you have to give wrong answers. And we're going to alternate back and forth until someone can't give a wrong answer or it is no longer plausibly connected or we get tired of the game by we i mean the host uh hosting the game which is usually me uh but today we are not joined by claire so it's just me and sam so we will see how long we go all right the wrong answer only topic for today is suspension of rules it comes up a few times during the meeting well during most meetings but uh today or in the meeting we're talking about today it came up so we're gonna go over suspension of rules sam i'm going to have you go first are you ready yeah um i first of all i want to say this is a really barbaric practice and something i'm not mm -hmm. really proud of in madison but there's a guy named Rules, and for whatever reason, they suspend him during meetings as punishment. And he just 
is suspended there over like a, a chasm or over what it's it's usually there's someone who might throw a tomato at him you know it's oh really they angry they just yeah it's, it's really terrible so that's what suspension of rules is is it's the suspension of mr rules ah i see well you know what sam that's false suspension of rules is actually uh, a set of guidelines that engineers came up with for suspension bridges um so you know back in olden times you you just add in random articles so it was called suspension of rules and that was how they figured out how to do a suspension bridge because suspension bridges obviously function off of magic they should not plausibly work and you need a, a special magic textbook and that's where that arcane knowledge is contained oh that's that's a really interesting idea ben it's also not true at all oh really uh the suspension of rules is actually it rules is a robe if you remember in the last common council i wore mm -hmm. a nice robe and a wig yeah i do remember that and, and we made you burn those afterwards so that you wouldn't bring them this time yeah and you also made me burn my pair of rules which is yes. something, something we're under the robe and you have to suspend it the suspension of those rules oh right you take those rules and you throw them behind you and any lawyers that find them automatically pass the bar is that how that works that's it's tradition yes okay gotcha uh well you know what that's false sam because uh suspension of rules is uh actually uh where you go to the local madison high school and you uh I, I don't know where I'm going with this. Okay. I, I see to you, Sam, uh, you won wrong answers only. I'm happy because I was out of other wrong answers for this. Oh, okay. Had no more wrong answers? Okay. Well, I my understanding is that one of us has to know the right answer to this. Sam, do you know what suspension of rules actually is? Not as clearly as you do, I'm guessing. Do you know what it is? Uh, n not natively, and I didn't know until I looked it up here. Um, so it's not not some knowledge I was born with for sure. Um, but I did look it up and and checked into it. So suspension of rules is a, another Robert's Rules of Order term. It is something that a group uh, actively can decide to do if there's a rule that would just prevent them from doing something that is common sense or necessary, like. If there was a rule that they need to meet for at least 30 minutes, but like there was a fire in the room, I guess they would vote to suspend the rules so that they could leave, you know, or something like that. So I think there's probably not debate on. Yes. And then, but they would have to then vote to suspend those rules and then they could all leave early. Um, that, that's absurd example, but uh, I think they use it every single meeting now, I think, to get rid of some rules that don't work well virtually. That's just kind of a formality at the beginning of all the virtual meetings here. It does seem like we're getting into a point where they may do a um, in-person meetings again mm -hmm. in a couple meeting a uh, couple weeks from now. And so I'm interested to see if there's still rules they suspend because my understanding is they can vote on what rules apply on an ongoing basis. So the only point, the only reason to suspend the rules is if you don't intend to use those rules or if you do intend for those rules to come back later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so they've been doing all their meetings virtually. Normally mm -hmm. they would do in-person meetings, but they suspend the rules to allow for virtual meetings and still to go forward with city business. That makes sense to me. Cool. So yeah, that is, uh, thank you for playing Wrong Answers Only. 
uh, Sam, and for winning again. So you're uh, on a hot streak there. You you have all the wrong answers. That's very, <laughs> very helpful of you. Uh, next, we're going to cover some of the honoring resolutions. So this honoring resolutions, this is that whereas heavy section at the beginning of the meeting where they go through and they'll they'll honor various folks, uh, give out awards, they'll, um, you know, declare something, the blankety blank day of Madison, uh, we can rename basically all the days of the whole calendar year, I think, and honor various things. So that's the freedom we have. That's really cool. Uh, anything stand out to you during the honoring resolutions, Sam? Uh, this was a very long honoring resolutions. So it took about an hour. It was. And I always think about that in, in terms of should we have honoring resolutions in the beginning of these common council meetings, especially when there's public comment. Um, but the one thing I did think was nice about this one was it kind of centers the discussion and ideas in, in what's the culture of Madison or what are the things we value. Um, and, and so I was thinking about that as kind of just a general reflection. And, and it was kind of a nice thing to say, these are kind of the values we're centered on. And then next, we're going to go into discussion. So, so that was kind of my in defense of honoring resolutions at the beginning of these meetings. I like that, Sam. And you're highlighting one of the other principles of the show, uh, assuming good intent, basically, that uh, people have a good reason for doing it. And they're, they're not just trying to undermine others. They are actually operating from their sincere belief about what's good. Mm -hmm. So and I know there's been a debate in some of the um, TFOGS group about whether or not or not honoring resolution should happen during common council. Oh, really? So this has kind of been a check mark in the, well, this, this is kind of a reason why maybe you would want to have it there. All right. So I'll, you know, just, just playing the other side of that. I, I didn't actually know that was a topic in some of their meetings. That's very interesting that they were, people were voicing that because it feels like a thing that is difficult to voice. Like, what are you saying? Are you against, you know, like la last time we had an honoring resolution for um, you know, march to end gender-based violence is like, are you saying you don't like that? Like, what are you doing? You know, like, and I think their, their main thing, the main argument is thinking about, we, we should be honoring these things, but when and where do we do them? Mm -hmm. Um, and in the context, if it's a six hour meeting and an hour of it is honoring resolutions, does it actually make sense to be there or should we set aside some other time for it? Right. And I think we've talked about this before the, even the people who are trying to get in for early public comment, they're kind of a captive audience. They're just forced to listen to all this, mm -hmm. everybody trying to consume this content, unless you're watching it later and fast forwarding through it, you are forced to listen. Yeah. But this was a particularly <coughs> good honor. I, I thought it was a good representation of some good people in Madison. So people have done some good work. So. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, some of the specifics there. Uh, so we had <clears throat> one was the Jeffrey Erlanger Civility in Public Discourse Award given to Lisa Peyton Clare. Uh, so Lisa is the founder of the Black Women's Wellness Center in Madison. And, uh, you know, I think a, a direct outgrowth from that Black Women's Wellness Day. So a, just a, a day where we are reminded and uh, reinforced how important that is. So that's a really cool recognition for her. Uh, the award is named after Jeffrey Erlanger. They actually spent some time talking about who Jeffrey Erlanger was. I, 
I think to be fair, even longer talking about Jeffrey um, and part of their, I think part of their tradition when giving out this award is they replay a video of him when he met with Mr. Rogers. Mm -hmm. Did you get a chance to watch that? Yeah, I watched that. It, and that was something I would never have known about if it wasn't for this. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really <clears> interesting <throat> to see. Um, he was, a, I think, a quadriplegic. Mm -hmm. He had a spinal tumor mm -hmm. when he was a baby, which I think result like the surgery resulted in. Yeah, I think as a ten-year-old on that show, he explained to Mr. Rogers, uh, who I, I still still call Mr. Rogers, even now uh, as I'm an adult. Um, but <laughs> he explained it to him better than I could state it now. Yeah, yeah, it was just remarkable maturity for a ten-year-old, mm -hmm. not to. So, yeah, very good representative for uh, civility and public discourse. Um, but yeah, uh, big congratulations to Lisa on that. We had, she also was in Richmond, calling from Richmond. Coincidentally, I was in Richmond when I was listening to this. So looked around to see if she was around me. She was not. Oh, she was in Richmond virtually at the time? She she called in from Richmond. I was on Got it. Okay. Richmond, Virginia at the time. So Okay. Nice. Yeah. So you're just like, can I hear in the distance? Uh, you know. And then I remember it was a recording and this was <laughs> in a different time yeah <laughs> some time traveling recordings yeah uh we also had some other honoring resolutions a memorial to ronald uh shango johnson i believe um it, they they were abbreviating his name to ron johnson and it was so jarring to hear people speak so positively about ron johnson did you experience that it i had to google who who this Ron Johnson was not not Senator Ron Johnson right yeah um, for everyone wondering there but an unfortunate unfortunate that we have Senator Ron Johnson for this confusion yes this um you know yeah this this person maybe had the name first but yeah just un, un, definitely unfortunate that we have Senator Ron Johnson um and then the uh, Alex Olson Award for the promotion of a tolerant and just community that went to Oscar Morales, um, our who is apparently our first Latino poet laureate of Madison, Wisconsin. So that was very exciting as well. And then the award also went to the Tamara D. Grigsby Office for Equity and Inclusion of Madison. So not to a person, to a whole office. It's kind of nice to. Okay, I'm glad you think that's nice. It it hit off the alarm bells with me. Maybe I'm not <laughs> fully, not alarm bells of suspicion, just like, wh what does this mean? Was there not a specific person we could be honoring and recognizing here? Because why wouldn't you just always honor the organization? I mean, I think, you know, whenever you get an acceptance speech, mm -hmm. whoever's doing the speech, typically honor gives um, recognition to all the people who helped them get there. And sometimes it's the body of work of a, a large group that is actually worth recognizing. So, okay. That, you know, maybe that's fair. Yeah. That, that was just my gut reaction to it was, well, why do we just give awards to an office? But <laughs> that's, that's fair. Okay. At this point, I think we're going to take a short jingle break.
All right, and we're back with Uncommon Counsel. I don't know what you heard just now. Probably some kind of uh, musical interlude there uh, to break up two halves of the show. I'm still here with Sam West. I haven't gone anywhere yet. Sam's not gone anywhere. That's good. That's a good sign. As long as we hold on to at least two hosts, it won't be one person talking to themselves. Uh, cool. Are you, Sam, are you ready for some early public comments about early public comment? There, there were some interesting public comments. Yeah. Would you like to publicly comment on it? Yeah. Um, so I think the first thing, this is going out of order for the public comment, but Cats. 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 The musical? Um, it could have been. That wolf. That, it's, I think that would have given the musical some better stakes, in my opinion. Like that, That's what I had never understood about yeah, Cats, I, I guess. I didn't realize that in the musical Cats, there was a motion to declaw Cats in the musical. Yeah, um, a, uh, you know, yeah, a motion for that. I don't think it carried forward, though. But yeah, I'm happy to know that we as the city of Madison have banned the declawing of Cats in the musical Cats. Or, in the musical Cats? Or maybe or maybe it's the real Cats, like a veterinary clinic. I think it might be that actually. That would make more sense to me. That would, okay, that would was, make a lot more sense if if it was actually the the vet clinics that were declawing cats. Yeah. Okay, that's 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 good to know. I was concerned mm -hmm. the well being of our our performing arts in Madison. Performing arts cats. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whew, uh, now that we got that out of the way. Yeah. I, I actually think that's gonna make a lot of the rest of the conversation make a lot more sense. Okay, yeah, I, I gotta rethink all of my comments. Well, well, there was someone who called in from California, so I thought it was just oh yeah, one of these Hollywood types calling in to say it's terrible. You guys are doing this. The, yeah, the you can't tell us how to run our Midwest musicals. Yeah, I, I always think there's um, it's gonna be an interesting topic when early public comment talks about anything. I think there's gonna be a lot of discussion on that. And in this one, the other the other rule of thumb I listen for is if someone's calling from out of state. Mm -hmm. So we had someone from California call in to say they're for banning declawing of cats, but we also had an ER doctor who's apparently in the Arizona state government. Sounded like it, yeah. Call in to involve some organizations. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, a lot of uh, support around this. But I always just wonder how how do they find out about? <laughs> That's that is a good point. Well, I would assume like Madison Cat Project or one of the other groups uh, that, um, you know, uh, advocates for this position all the time that they reach out or have some channels that they can communicate to you with. Yeah. So we had a lot of uh, national focus on this. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was, it was a really cool moment to see. Um, I mean, yeah, we're, we'll, we can just kind of jump ahead to talk about this since it, it did come up in the early public comment, but they talked about it quite a bit in the normal me, uh, meeting when the alders were chatting about it. But I mean, it really felt like we're just dunking on something easy. Like, wh wh where's the debate there? I, yeah, I, I, some of these things are kind of like a, you know, you, you know, the resolution is going to pass, mm -hmm. but we're going to spend an hour public comment <laughs> <laughs> like it's such a relief when you have something that two people agree on or you know 20 for the holidays 
that that they're like, okay, let's just stay on this topic for a while. Let's just like riff on this. Yeah. Um, so you can no longer declaw cats in Madison. I think there's yeah. I don't. I. I mean, I would guess that's not a common practice. I yeah. I've I've always heard that you're not supposed to do it since I moved to Madison. Actually, I think growing up, I might have had some cats that were declawed and just never knew. But like growing up, you know, there was an ignorant wild west back in Texas where I grew up. Yeah. the The other thing I thought was funny about this was. Um, there's sometimes people will call in and say, as a progressive city, you should pass this. Oh, is it like so a is, challenge? So is, is decline cats not a progressive value? Is that, is that on the, our platform now? It, so decline cats is not a progressive value? Or banning decline cats is a progressive value. I, I don't know. I, I guess it, I, I mean, it seems like it. Yeah. I feel like it should just be common sense value (laughs) so would you would you resent being said to have progressive values no but i think it should just be i feel like sometimes there's a shaming Mm -hmm. in madison of madison needs to do this if you want to be a progressive city Uh uh-huh and i feel like decline cats should just be just don't do it (laughs) right like what what's the argument for basically that yeah. which is what i'm left with i i don't it seems like they tackled on the comments all the all the arguments for declawing yeah um yeah i mean growing up it was always kind of you declaw cats they won't scratch you but they might bite you and biting is worse than scratching that's what i heard and learned from the meeting which i didn't know i just knew like there somebody who i respected told me it's cool to do it. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll just trust that. I, I didn't need a bunch more than that. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that was interesting for me to learn. Yeah. That the, the biting was worse. Mm-hmm. I feel like I get bit, but I have two cats. I get bit by them all the time, but I think those are love bites is what I've been told. So yeah, they're not, just no bad intent. Biting me with their love. Yeah. Um, sometimes it feels like bad intent, but that's what it is. The only other thing is uh, this is the first time that Tiger King as a reference, and specifically Tiger King 2. I, it, it felt like, uh, yeah, Alder Bennett brought up Tiger King 2 as a com- where she learned about the issue. Was that a joke? I think that was real. I've never watched Tiger King for full disclosure, but that was a thing where I, I never, on the, the Madison Common Council bingo, if you put Tiger King in defense of a proposal yeah well done. it's not it's not where i go to learn moral positions necessarily that's my understanding i have not also not watched tiger king so my i'm displaying my ignorance there um, yeah I, I actually wrote down the quote from alder bennett thanks to all those cool cats and kittens supporting this um and then uh yeah she said that she now supported it after watching tiger king too I know that was. I think it was a joke. I, I'm I'm assuming good. Like you know, just a, a a warm, fun thing. It did make me much more curious about Tiger King. Um, I I didn't yeah I didn't get on that the Tiger King train. Yeah, when I was watching it, and I just felt like I missed it. I, yeah, I definitely feel like I missed the moment, but I also I wasn't. I usually let those things sit for a little bit unless I'm just 
crazy drawn to the topic. Uh, like right now I'm resisting watching season two of The Witcher, but I'm a science sci-fi fantasy nut for sure. But uh, that, that was one of the, you know, really popular things that showed up on streaming that I really enjoyed. But yeah, Tiger King never <laughs> got to like, I don't know, the top of my list. But yeah, we kind of jumped around there. Um, the other early public <laughs> comment, we just went straight into that topic from early public comment. Um, oh, yeah. But the other early public comment thing I um, I thought was interesting was Satya really shot down the Randall Park discussion. What, so, yeah, I wrote down something about that because somebody was like calling it, hey, we're trying to talk about this, some eviction or something happening at Randall Park. And so was that the 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 people who needed homes and yeah i think so you're not supposed to talk about um items on the agenda unless they're on the agenda or you can't you can't just kind of go on on a different topic yeah and so this is commonly comes up in the common council but since it wasn't on the agenda you can't have public comment on it or alders can't aren't supposed to talk about it because you're not giving the public notice. That right, you definitely can't have early public comment. I think the mayor or, or alders can also introduce new business, right? I think they can, but I, but I think you need to give, I always thought you needed to give some amount of warning or time. I could be, I don't know what the time I think to be. get on the agenda, but I feel, <clears throat> and would certainly be prudent because your discussion should be kind of pointless if the other people haven't at least thought about what you're about to say, like yeah. you're not gonna have a meaningful discussion. But yeah, Satya just shot that down quickly. Oh yeah. That was, well, it, it, I, I think that happens sometimes. Yeah, I think she kind of has, that, that is the rule, like you said. Mm -hmm. So she had to, It yeah, it did seem pretty abrupt. What she did not shot shoot down though, was early public comment going over their time limit about cats. Oh, did they go over their time limit? Yeah, they kept going over and she was just like, I need some more feline knowledge. Oh yeah. So yeah, they would be told there, there were a couple times. So I was, I was actively learning throughout this experience. I remember for one early public commenter, they were like, and your time's up. And then the guy was like, I'll just leave it with this bites cause way more fatalities than clawing. And then he ended and I hadn't had all the dots connected for me by that point. I was like, wait, why is he telling me this? What is, this seems like out of left field. Like, and then the later on, it was put together for me that when you declaw, they're more likely to bite. And then I'm like, ah, okay. But I just was like, what position is this guy on? Was he the ER physician from Arizona? I think so. Yeah. I just, I just couldn't get over that. An ER physician from Arizona is calling in about to help us out. Yeah. <laughs> so help lead us to the light. Um, yeah, it, it, the timing was interesting. Friday night, we did our big, not de not declawing, I'm not qualified to do that, and I would not do that, and it's now illegal, but our, our claw trimming for the two cats. So it was me and another friend uh, who who is a, you know, we're both professionals, he's a qualified engineer, and we're just, you know, stumbling around here, like, uh, I don't know, what's what's the... The, the classic, uh, it's, it's escaping me right now, like Benny Hill music playing, like us chasing cats around, trying to wrap them up in towels and trim their claws a bit. <laughs> and so I've, I've got, my hands are just covered in, in claw marks right now. Like, oh yeah. That I've, 
acquired from that experience. Being a visual podcast, I can attest. Thank you. Quite <laughs> the the blood markings. You're like, I, I didn't realize you were getting tattoos, man. Yeah, I, I guess that's the argument for why people declaw them. But I mean, it is a harmful thing to your cats. Mm-hmm. Well, not, yeah, I, and I, I think they... I, I felt I needed to do it because we're about to leave them by themselves for a little bit. And we, it seemed like they were fighting each other playfully, but they might hurt each other. And so just wanted to like have a little, little de-escalation of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, this, and that's not, that's trimming cat nails is very different. Than oh yeah. Time. Yeah. As I learned yeah. <laughs> uh, listening. Um, it, yeah. It seems pretty serious. Like you're getting all the way to the bone people said quite a few times mm-hmm. and i don't think anyone but again nobody was pushing back on it there was no i think it's a tough argument to say we should allow it right yeah well who is who is saying we should well, yeah and i don't think a lot of vets were doing it already and maybe part of the point was i think that was another point in favor of banning that they brought up is that it makes pet, uh, vets job easier because they don't have to say no they can just say i'm not allowed yeah. Because um, the vets don't want to do it. Yeah. One thing that it was interesting, we had a lot of people calling from in Dane County, but not Madison. Mm-hmm. So a lot of key vet called in. Um, hmm. So, I mean, I guess the next thing people were proposing is make it Dane County wide, not Madison specific. Yeah. If we're a leader in that, yeah. The, all the other municipalities will look to us for, yeah, to take the lead on that. That'd be interesting. Well, so I, I guess I've answered my own question about why people dunk on easy topics for a long time because we've talked about this one for quite a while. I, it feels good. I know. I thought about this. I was, there, there was just so much time spent on cats. Which I was like, come on, why are we talking about this? And here we are 15 minutes later yeah. talking let's, about cats. Let's jump into something that the two of us are going to disagree on strongly, which is affordable housing uh, and whether it should be there. Um, this seems like one... Well, I don't know. First, so what, what were your thoughts? So I, I guess I'm, I'm jumping ahead. There was a, a rezoning proposal to allow the Olive Madison project to exceed the normal State Street height limit by two stories. So that's basically the, the up or down what they're voting on. And then a whole bunch of conversation around that. And they had conversation last week. But yeah, what, what were your thoughts on that? I mean, my personal thoughts are... Increasing density, mm-hmm. especially in the isthmus, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm usually for things that increase density, um, especially if there's some part of the project that would set some of the housing aside to make it more affordable. Um, so, so for me, this is this makes sense. Um, yeah, there's I know the housing development is going to be on State Street. They've got some commercial development on the, the bottom. So I think that still makes, you know, State Street kind of a vibrant street to walk down, but people can live on it and you still have some shopping options there. Right. They mentioned maintaining the historic facade is what I heard. So it sounds like they're just trying not to modify the, the front part of the building there. Yeah. I mean, there is always the concern of um, a lot of established restaurants and institutions that used to be in downtown and on State Street are kind of, um, getting pushed out or, or going away, but I think it's kind of a tough thing when Madison's p- 
population is growing so rapidly. I mean, and I, I just, I guess I get so confused when people use that as an argument against doing this because we're going to put a whole bunch of people right there in walking distance of your business. That is probably going to be good for your business. I, I don't know what would be contentious about that. Maybe like the fact that there are a lot of people there is feels crowding and it keeps other keeps other people who would attend or who would patronize your business from coming in. I don't know. It, I mean, it does make as someone who no longer lives in downtown Madison. Oh yeah. More density, more cars does make it hard to find parking and actually access that. Um, but that I think the the State Street business owners are the ones who are the advocating for there to be more cars downtown because they don't they're trying to move the bus the proposed bus routes around yeah so i i mean i can see why you you know there's an argument against density mm -hmm. um but at the same time it's i think it's kind of just where we need to go um if we want to have housing for people as the population keeps growing so. yeah i agree and full disclosure i am a downtown property owner of a small tiny slice of downtown uh so i i guess i benefit if if property values go up down there um and also i'm hurt i pay more in taxes and things it's just a you know double-edged sword there um but yeah that that is something that was a thought in my mind before acquiring property was okay now i'm putting myself squarely on the side of wanting property value to go up for my own personal benefit while for the communal good, we need basically property value to go down or a very robust system that gets a lot of affordable housing turned out. Yeah. Um, so in general, more housing units are being made, more affordable housing. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. for it. There was some opposition to it. There, there was strong opposition. I Well, and also, uh, first I want to mention, you brought up, because you brought up parking, Sam, they have parking density where it counts. There are going to be 79 moped spaces. This is how you can tell it's, it's very much student focused. Yes. <laughs> when I read that, I, it said 211 car spaces and 79 moped spaces. And I just envisioned 79 mopeds in a moment. But I, I just, I'm baffled by it. I, I missed that trend in college, or maybe it's only a with Madison thing, this moped trend. Yeah, I think it's a big thing around Madison. There's a lot of mopeds. When I first moved here, I really did consider buying a moped. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a car and I had to think, what if I missed the bus to work? How can I get there? Oh yeah. And I was like, a moped would be a really feasible option. For the highway? Well, you get, I think I could make it work on most roads. Mm -hmm. but there is one 50 mile per hour road I'd have to go down, which would be tricky. And then in winter, it would be very challenging to drive a moped on snow. Yeah, yeah. But Kudos I for you for making the, the bus thing work. I was, I was 75% of the way towards getting there. And then I just bought my sister's old car. So, Hey, that's that's good. That's that's why we have sisters, right? Yep. So that they can have cars that we can have oh, later. Older sisters. Older sisters, yes. My, my sister is currently not even old enough to drive. So I, it's hard to get a car from her. Well, you should help her buy a car. Then you can just buy it back later. Yeah. Could she drive a moped right now? Is that, it's the same driving age for that? I don't, I don't know. I, I could maybe get a hand-me-down moped from her. Yeah. That would be worth doing, I think. Okay. Um, you, <laughs> I got this way off track talking about mopeds. You were bringing up the opposition, Sam. 
Yeah, I I thought it was interesting um, the opposition for it. Yeah. Uh, apparently, there's something where if you get a petition, you can delay the, the building. I think there's some wording somewhere that made this person um, who who put in the position. I, I'll just. Elizabeth, uh, she her name came up in the meeting and was identified there, but she uh, she was under the impression, and I think had good reason to, to think this, and had talked to alders who had verbally confirmed her understanding of the situation, so I think she had very good reason to think this, that if she put in the position, the, the decision would get delayed yeah. to the next meeting. Re- kind of regardless, I think the one key point was she thought just regardless of uh, whether it was valid, pretty and, much. And she needed something like 60 valid mm-hmm. signatures right, in order to delay it. Um, and she had probably 60 signatures, but only one was considered valid. Well, it seems like there were several different ways she could have gotten to the number. Mm-hmm. Like almost like a, you know, a, a bingo card with multiple weight paths to victory there. Like you could get a certain proportion of the people who live in the area or a certain proportion of the property owners. So I guess in that case, getting somebody who owns a big chunk of the property in the affected land area counts for more on a petition. Um, but she didn't make she didn't meet any of those thresholds apparently, as as the staff analyzed it. Yeah, um, and it's one of those things where I think overall it probably makes sense to not delay a month because it seems like a fairly easy way to delay any project. Yeah, well, and this one has a time component. If it's going to be student housing and it's not ready by August, they're, it's not it's kind of sitting awkwardly empty for several months. Yeah. Um, I, I did think it was, I mean, interesting. There's a change.org petition, which had apparently 800 signatures, but... Yeah, well, so yeah, it sounds but, like they started one without really understanding whether change.org had any legal backing at all yeah change that or i thought it was really cool <laughs> 10 years ago yeah but now it's just you share it on your social media profile mm. and people retweet it or share it more and like who knows where these 800 people actually live yeah the first time you signed a change.org petition did you think about it real hard or did you just do it like, it was something i don't know some cause i was born, like, yeah i'll sign this and then you see you get like a million signatures on it and mm-hmm. some national government's going to be like, oh, that's interesting. So, oh, noted. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I way thought about it really hard. It was probably like during college and I was like, it's late at night where I probably should have already been in bed and I was just staring at this like, do I really believe this? Is this something I would put my name on and put a lot of significance behind it? I so, don't know. Yeah. So, but in the end, they just kind of didn't they ignore the petition because there just weren't valid signatures. They went forward with voting. Yeah. Um, Alder Bennett, and there's one other Alder. Uh, three, wait, so there was a, first there was a motion to refer to the next meeting. So basically to kind of delay a month. Do what the petitioner wanted, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, three voted for it. Uh, Bennett, yes, and... Um, I, I'm not sure which TV show motivated that decision, but but Bennett and Foster and Conklin, I think. Yeah. 
Conklin came out of nowhere because I thought it was going to be Figueroa Cole because she was she seemed very frustrated by the dysfunction in the petition process. Yeah, which because apparently you need a notary. I I want to get that part checked out. Apparently you needed a notary uh, to confirm some of the signatures there. I'm not sure about that part. I guess it's not that hard to get a notary. So you just get the notary to be the person collecting the signatures and that's enough. Yeah, I, I did think it was kind of funny that it was, the argument was, this is a challenge for college students in particular. And I was like, this would be a challenge for me as a non-college student. Yeah, I know one, I know one person I mean, I'm sure I know more, but I only know one person that I can think of off the top of my head who's a notary and a personal friend mm -hmm. who would probably also help me out very in a, in a pinch. Yeah, that, that would have been a, it would have taken time to figure out what to do for me. Even mm -hmm. that, so. I guess you could make yourself one or go through a process to become one. Mm -hmm. I assume there are classes and such. That part I don't know. We'll look it up and we'll let people know. <laughs> um, yeah, the other part was they were unsure what number they had to get to, which I, I could understand being frustrating. We knew it was like, I think it was like 68 or something for one of the thresholds they had to meet. But we knew that because the staff was quoting it on the meeting. It just says 20%. And you're like, how many people live in this area? I don't even know. Yeah, that was, um, I, don't, I don't know how you're supposed to get a petition of ensuring you have 20% when you don't know what the denominator is. Right. Yeah. It, it seemed like, so there was a bunch of like back and forth. They were talking to staff and staff was saying, well, that would constitute legal advice if we told them how much. And I'm like, uh, maybe it is. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know, but that it feels kind of unhelpful. But yeah. then again, it's their job. So like they have responsibilities They can't just take who knows several hours out of their day to help this person. Well, they could, I guess, but that's very generous of them when they also have families to get home to and such like that, and they have to complete their job. But it sounded like kind of what eventually came around was that if the Elizabeth, whoever was trying to put together these petitions, had put in a public records request for the information, it could have been looked up for her. Mm. I'm not sure how long that would have taken, but <laughs> it just feels like did you say the magic words, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it, it seemed like a system that would take a lot of knowledge to know how to actually get. <laughs> right. Right. And I think it's important for us to talk about here, because if you're trying to go through a similar process, I think you'd want to know that as a starting point, at least to know what to look up that, you know, it's going to be hard to know how many signatures you may need to go through some formal processes, like say a public records request to figure out how many signatures you need. And it's not necessarily the staff of the city's job to make that easy for you. They're not supposed to be obstructive, and I don't think they're trying to be, but they're not your personal assistants either. Yeah, I feel like the staff was very much trying to say, we did our due diligence, we followed the, the rules, but they weren't very helpful for her based on how the system is designed, it seems. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the other thing, um, <laughs> there was the the epic straw man argument. Oh yeah, there was one dig at like six figure salaries for epic employees, which is not necessarily the norm. Yeah, and I, I think it also just makes an assumption that every epic employee wants to live on State Street, which I don't think is true and, much at all. Yeah, and also. Um, 
the bigger one was, you know, what, thinking about what's driving increased population growth. Mm -hmm. And within the past I think five years, UW student enrollment has increased by like 4,000 or something like that. Oh yeah. That would definitely be more than the, the growth of Epic, but it's Epic very visible. I, I could definitely see that the argument that Epic's driving some of the reason we have random luxury apartments instead of just apartments, you know, like where you could put more apartment units. Instead, you get a luxury apartment that costs as much as or more than a mortgage for no reason. Yeah. But I, I just thought it was a straw man argument. Because I think Alder Bennett said, oh, if people graduate and they leave, so there's a constant population, which mm -hmm. would assume that no student or graduate of Madison decides to stay in Madison. <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting consequence of that, yeah. And I know we have uh, definitely some more we want to talk about that. I want to get us into actually some analysis of how the votes shook out, but we're going to take another jingle break here. And we're back. So we're... Back with the Uncommon Council meeting, uh, this is Ben Seidensticker here with my co-host Sam West. We are talking about some rezoning changes. Continuing the continuing the discussion from before, yeah. Uh, I think when we left off, we were just talking about um, some of the concerns that were brought up in the opposition to the vote. And again, the, the up or down vote was are they going to let them exceed the state street height limit for an extra two stories? And I think something we've talked about some of the back and forth and some of the arguments here, but we, we haven't talked a lot about what is the big deal here, the affordable housing portion of it. Mm -hmm. So I think the way it came out, the, the new, the extra two stories, we're going to offer something like another 200 something beds and 110 of those were going to be low income. So basically the favor they're asking from the common council, they're willing to dedicate 50% of that to be set aside for low income affordable housing. Which is where we, basically where things settled out. And we'll say, I don't think that was, not that the developers aren't generous or good people, but I don't think that was just their idea. That came from advocation, advocacy of the, the people who are in the area. Yeah, and there was a lot of, it was, it was interesting because there was a lot of student involvement, it sounds like, with this mm -hmm. as they're making this plan over the yeah. past years. Mm -hmm. But then those students graduated and left. Ah. So that was oh. um, someone who called in from Brooklyn specifically. Oh, really? That, yeah, that was their story. Okay, I'd missed, I'd not piece that together. Yeah, I want to figure out more information about him. Um, I think Amal Goyle. He actually did a lot of interesting work in Madison when he was a student, mm -hmm. um, but then post-graduation, apparently moved to Brooklyn. Okay. Um, so he was kind of advocating for the work he'd been helped, in, helped involved with when he was here. Yeah. Um, but it, it was just an interesting thing because now that he's not here, he's not part of the community. So he kind of, some of his voice, I think, was discounted by people who are here. I, I think the way it was framed by Alder Bennett that this was done without student involvement, basically. Yeah, and, well, and, I, Which, and that's 
I, I think you could say current student involvement. Fair. On some yeah. levels. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, that's a tough thing with students of how do you continue any work you were working on once you leave or if you leave. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, that is that is a something I hadn't thought about, and maybe it's because as a student I wasn't that uh, civic minded, really, and didn't have any projects that I was leaving behind in that way. Yeah, I think. I mean, this is a challenge with a lot of student initiatives and, and involvement. Mm -hmm. Is how do you make something sustainable? How do you train future students and have it keep going versus do a one-off project? Um, well, another way you say it that way, I, I will not say this was necessarily, um, you know, as important as giving people affordable housing, but we had a, a sketch comedy group that we started at, at school and we were the founders of it and we loved it, loved the environment. And then you just, you graduate and you hand the keys off to somebody else, right? And they're the ones who, you know, determine what the reputation is of that group going forward, mm -hmm. which can be a little, I don't know, like leaving your baby with somebody. Yeah. And you hope they... They keep it going or mm -hmm. or the quality stays high or they don't do like some kind of joke that's going to get up in the news or something in a terrible way. Reflect poorly on you. Maybe, yeah. Take yeah. that off your resume. Like, yeah, just quietly remove that. Absolutely. Uh, I did want to talk about, yeah, some of the, I mean, speaking of the, the feeling of on the part of students that they were not included is definitely there. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, the point you're making about just this <laughs> the fact these things don't happen quickly and they happen over the course of years makes it almost irrelevant to any student because as a freshman you're just concerned with being a freshman as a senior you're just concerned with like getting a job and having your final year and stuff I'm generalizing broadly but it, it seems like there's only a couple years where you're just a member of this city and you're not you know, having one foot in another world. Yeah. Um, I think that's a strong argument for student government structures, mm -hmm. or like student organizations and keeping them involved. Okay. Um, but it, I mean, in, in that way, it's, it is similar to some of these legislative bodies like the Common Council where mm -hmm. you get something passed through one group, but if it's going to take three or four years to, to finalize um, the proposal, like rapid transit. Yeah, you'll, you'll be dealing with a completely different set of alders. That is true, yeah. And uh, it's, so, yeah, how do you hand off the baton between groups of people? Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, I think some of the quotes that uh, Bennett wrote, or read, Alder Bennett read uh, from students that, this was an interesting critique. So they, they were saying that average price quotes are performative. So I think they're referring to like, like performative progressivism. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, I mean, do you remember that quote? Is that something that resonates with you? I think that was just in reference to how they came up with their price. So it's going to mm -hmm. be, you know, if all property values rise, then that affordable housing is also going to rise. Then it could reach a point where it's still not affordable. Yeah. It's just affordable relative to everything else. Yeah. So there's not, you know, there's no price control on what that price is going to be. Mm, okay. That was kind of my takeaway from that of, um, you know, essentially trying to put more of the risk on the developer for maintaining this price. Right. Um, and so it is going to be affordable for future students. 
for at least a couple years. Yeah, for as as the yeah. rent continues to rise along, along State Street, especially. Right. In downtown. Okay. Um, the argument, she had another argument. Um, I didn't quite understand this. It was against the bathrooms, but it, it seems like I thought it was bathrooms, or maybe she wanted studio apartments or single room apartments. Well, so I think the argument was, so none of the affordable housing units were singles, which initially I was like, well, that's fine. Like I didn't have a single until like very late in my college career. And that I don't see a good reason for that to be the, you know, the cheapest option necessarily. But the argument was, um, if you have to look for a roommate, you're having to advertise what you're paying. Yeah. So like, I need a roommate to pay, you know, I'll, I'll make up a number here, $500 per month. And everybody can put two and two together. And like, oh, wow, they're on the affordable income housing list. Mm -hmm. And then your privacy's, you know, out there. I don't necessarily think that's true. I, I think you could say, you could just advertise that you're looking for somebody in that apartment and then you let them know what the rent is and then your roommate knows, but your roommate's going to know way more privacy violating things about you in your college career. Yeah, that's an interesting thing of how they actually implement that. Because um, mm -hmm. I, I think it is the units available are four bedroom, two bathroom. Oh, okay. Bedrooms. So it's, at least some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, that kind of limits who your potential roommates are if you need everyone to qualify. Or, uh, yeah, I don't know if the implementation is going to be everyone has to qualify or just mm -hmm. one person can qualify. Oh, like the other. Yeah, that would make sense if both of you need to be qualifying. Yeah. Essentially. Right. And then, then, so then your roommate knowing isn't even a, any breach of privacy. It's just your search for those other roommates. Yeah. You may not be able to be roommates with your friends that you have in your mm -hmm. freshman dorm because of this qualification requirement. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I never looked into it, but that does raise some, some concerns for like the actual implementation of this. But uh, yeah, I think the way you're putting it is correct. It's just concerns for the implementation. It's a, okay, that's a problem that is very valid. Let's work around it. Let's find a, come up with a tool or an avenue that people can communicate with others. Or we know who the list is, connect them all with each other on a private email list or something or a private social media group, and then they're good to go. Yeah, and I think the way the mechanism they came up with for this was UW would refer students for the housing. Mm -hmm. So I think the developers kind of, clean their hands of that and said, we don't want to actually handle this, but sure. UW can refer students to this. So maybe it's up to UW to decide what's equitable for this. Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, it'd be bringing that topic up with the UW. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, because I think, I, I don't think it makes sense to assume all affordable housing in the city, like if we generalize this beyond just the student population, that's not gonna be all single apartments necessarily. Mm -hmm. they, uh, one way to make housing economical is to have people share certain things. I, that'll be a, a thing as people are looking for uh, housing in the city too. That, that just is gonna happen in the world after they're done being students. Yeah. Um, okay, so we can move on and talk about some of the other top, uh, topics that came up. Um, next one I had, they were discussing how they were going to meet in the future. I think one of the 
conclusions from this is they will meet in person coming up soon. Yeah, was it, did they decide, I actually can't remember how this vote it came down on the vote. Was it May they decided to come back in person? Mm, I thought it was in uh, February. Oh, okay. I think that is it, that they did vote for that. And Sachi really, um, you know, laid down the law with them. Yeah, Sachi was really pushing for in-person meetings. Yeah, I think as an argument that the virtual meetings are making them not productive. Yeah, and I that is one thing I do wonder about, because I haven't followed the Common Council since mm-hmm. they were virtual, but... Yeah, her argument was there's a lot of tension in working relationships. Um, mm-hmm. And there definitely is some tension between alders. Um, the last session, there was a lot of tension between some alders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that's kind of her, her thought process on this is having some level of personal touch just makes you assume good intent in other people or helps you to assume good intent. Right. Maybe you're, you know pouring coffee from the same coffee dispenser, you're sitting across from each other, you're having to look each other in the eye when you're calling them or accusing them of pretty strong things. And yeah, so I I agree. I think it is harder to not treat somebody with the dignity they deserve when you're in person with them. Yeah. Um, That's why I've been so civil to you, Sam, today, because you're here in person. Yeah, we, uh, last year we were doing some discord we played some games on discord oh yeah yeah in the pandemic and it got very unprofessional yeah the swords swords came into play yeah it was yeah. very violent um this is much improved over that i so yeah it sounds like they're gonna be uh meeting in person i think so i think this luxury we have of seeing all the meeting in a virtual context will not necessarily be permanent They'll still have the audio versions, I think. So that's what they had before. But it also sounds like they were going to have um, kind of dual virtual and in-person meetings starting in June, I think, like their IT person was saying. Yeah, they said they needed some technology to allow for public comment to be virtual. And I think okay. overall, that's a good initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, having gone to a, comment, like a meeting in person, you never know when your agenda talk is actually coming. And you're like listening for an obscure number to be mentioned or something. Yeah. So you, you know, you can wait there in the room for hours to get to your piece of public comment. Yeah. I think virtual is a big convenience for that. Right. Um, I think Satya's comment for the, the, the flip side of this is if you don't have access or knowledge to call in, Mm -hmm. which, you know, a lot of people struggle joining the zoom meeting. Um, there's always a lot of confusion on, how to actually register virtually. And it's a lot easier to do that in person. Um, so that's kind of where she's coming at this from too, also saying, well, virtual is a lot easier for some people, but it's a lot harder for other people. And in-person would help those other people. So yeah. So it's not, it's not just, uh, there's two sides to this, which for accessibility of public comment mm-hmm. in the meetings. Gotcha, yeah. and. I think there were some still alders. I believe Alder Foster was bringing up concerns around the virus and Omicron. Um, not sure if he verged on the territory of saying Omicron a little bit there, but yeah, that was ironic. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, Alder Foster was still concerned about 
some of the safety things about yeah. meeting in person. Yeah, which is very valid. So we're still in a pandemic. I, I guess so. Yeah, it's still always valid to say, I don't know. That's probably the most correct answer to any question. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's okay to admit you don't know, but you also should follow that up with, here's my best guess and compare that to what other people know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, a handful of other things here, also huge things. So large sums of money. So emergency rent assistance funding. So it sounds like there was like a $35 million set aside from, uh, of, of money that came in from the federal government. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Um, apparently the federal government's, um, emergency rental assistance, which, mm -hmm. um, has been kind of very specific to a lot to states. So states can decide how to handle the money or yeah. municipalities. Um, they said Madison had to use over 90% of its rental assistance. Okay. Um, and which is one of the highest levels in the other, which I guess is good that they're using it. Yeah. Good that it's not, you, you know, you hear stories. It's not that, waiting on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not, not good that it's needed, but good that it's actually being used. Right. Allocated. Yeah. So we're getting more money because we've been so good at using it. We're being entrusted with more because we've used the first batch responsibly. Yes. Say. yes. Okay. Um, That's good. So good job. Because in filling out those forms is actually um, kind of complicated for a lot of things because mm -hmm. you need to report to the federal government that you're actually using these funds responsibly. So if we're doing over 90% of that, there is a lot of manual work that goes into the various nonprofits and organizations getting out this money. So, so is that the nonprofits or is that like city staff? It would most likely, so this is kind of me speculating, Yeah. but it would most likely be like tenant resource center, um, make ensuring a lot of the paperwork is mm -hmm. being used correctly or is being handled correctly that they're submitting to say, this is how we allocate those these funds. Okay. Um, and that, and that is a complicated process for individuals requesting um, some of this assistance as well as the nonprofits administering this assistance. Mm -hmm. So if, if you know they're doing over 90%, that's kind of a good job on the systems in place in Madison. That'd be my speculation. Okay, I, I think I do remember part of what they were voting on was to authorize the mayor to let you know, the, the tenant resource center distribute this. So that does sound familiar there. Yeah. And it, it, there are a few other <clears throat> groups involved in distribution, mm -hmm. but just tenant resource center is the one I'm most familiar with. I think they did come up by name. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. That's helpful. Okay, cool. That, that makes more sense. Cause on the face of it, it's like, well, why would we vote yes or no on $35 million? Let's take some money. So, yeah. Um, but there is, you need the resources to distribute, to distribute $35 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everybody has to be okay with how that's being done. So somebody's not just like yoink. Yeah, we can't talk it. Yeah. We can't Oprah it, apparently. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Wait, is that a thing? I don't, I don't know. You that get thing. rental assistance. You get rental assistance. Oh, we can't do that. I was like, did Oprah embezzle? Like, I didn't know she was uh, such a, a civic minded person. <laughs> and also, I guess this is, this is not a, uh, this is not a slander of Oprah. To be clear, we would never, we would never, um, until we have something that can't be refuted. Um, uh, a few other things, there was some allocation of about $2 million to various 20, or I shouldn't say various, I know the number 21 nonprofit organizations, which to me sounded great. And then 
Alder Figueroa Cole said, this one keeps me up at night. And I was like, oh, okay, what's what's bad here? I I think I think the <laughs> thing that she was concerned about was the overall grant requests were seven million dollars. Mm-hmm. And they allocated two million dollars. Right. Two million sounded big until they said what was being missed, basically. Yeah. Um, Alder Carter brought up the point that, you know, there's always gonna be more requests than we have money for. And Fair. So it, it, these are the discussions I was, I'm interested in of how they come to that number, how they get the vote. Right. Um, Cause what, what if the allocation was $7 million, but their grant requests were 9 million? Like what, how do you decide what's the right number for that? Yeah, and is it you do more organizations or you bump up the numbers for each organization and how, how do you arrive at that? And what's, I looked through the list and some were getting 30,000, some were getting $50,000 at the time. And it's like, how do they, like, is that measured in employees that they need to hire? Like, how are they arriving at those numbers? Because I assume that's the bulk of all these expenses of employment time. That's what I would guess too. Um, the other interesting thing about this proposal is it was crisis intervention, mm-hmm. um, which for some organizations would be like a 24 seven resource yeah. center. So like a call center or staff who can help with some sort of intervention. Yeah, like a hotline for crisis, yeah. Um, yeah. Some of it's intended for um, recidivism. So if you, just come out of a crisis intervention, like just helping you get mm-hmm. on your feet or something. Uh, and then there was also just kind of general programs. There were some programs that were like um, learning English second language programs, I think, were like yeah. one of the groups. Yeah. Or, that was their name. The then, focus was there. Yeah. And some nonprofits had just general information. Um, so that also just kind of raises the question of, you know, you could, you could, in that general box, which is what funds were allocated for, you can, you can be pretty broad in what you're requesting funds for. Yeah. So I think you have to kind of take that with a little bit of a grain of salt when 7 million is the requested funds, Mm -hmm. but you can really stretch what programs you're doing that would be allocated under this. Right. Um, Because that's kind of a, it's just a very broad funding initiative. Yeah, and I guess if everybody knows the game being played, because Carter's saying, Alder Carter's saying, well, you always ask for more money, so you never, what, which, which to me is implied, you don't ever plan on giving them all the money they ask for. And if they know you're not going to give them all the money they ask for, they ask for more. Yeah. <laughs> so they start the negotiating position higher. So, like, how can we arrive at, maybe that is the most efficient way. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and there, there's also can be an odd game with some grants. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what was involved with this, but um, in college, I actually applied for a couple of grants for some groups I was working with. Yeah. And one of them, I, the very first one, I was like, well, I'm not going to get this money. So I said, well, if you give me, I don't know, $5,000, we can do this. If you give us $3,000, this is what we can do. And oh, okay. they said, oh, you can do that with $3,000? we are giving you $3,000. Uh, and so... You, they just always take the lowest. Yeah. So kind of takeaway from that was never mention the three thousand. Right. Right. Yeah. Because there, it's also like I, I can imagine. I'm here. I'm thinking of twenty one organizations, and in practical terms, I'm coming to this as a you know maybe a committee person or a staff person. Had a long day. I'm having to make twenty one decisions in a row about things like 
after having probably made some gut-wrenching decisions about who gets money in the first place, now I'm figuring out how much they get. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at various proposals. Yeah, I would just like start to come up with some basic heuristic, like I'll take the middle one or I'll take the low one or whatever. And it's hard to just apply good decision-making to every single thing. Yeah. Um, but it, what, and one thing I did think was nice about this was it was taking a broad interpretation like I, as a, I already criticized it, but it was like a broad interpretation of what could be a crisis. Yeah. So, you know, some of it's just community building, which is the idea would be to prevent a crisis before it happens. Um, but that does get you into the, the tricky issue of, well, then anything we are out getting, because a lot of these organizations are doing good work, but then anything that they're doing could be viewed as preventing future crisis fees. I think that's true. Yeah. Like who's going to be the person to say that this won't prevent a future crisis? In fact, if you're doing any work that doesn't prevent a crisis, is your work even important? Like, I don't know. Uh, Like down the line, if down the line, whatever you do Mm -hmm. wouldn't become a crisis if your job was not done, your job, is it important? I don't know. Yeah. Like, and, and I would extend that to even things that people think of as optional, like creating art, like, if the world didn't have art, how long down the line would it take before we are insane or completely uh, uncompassionate people? Yeah. If we could be less compassionate than we are now. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's just a challenge to try to limit this down, I think. Yeah. And then I, I don't know if you had any other thoughts on that before we moved to what is going to be our last topic for today, Sam, any other thoughts? That was all I had. Okay, so the last topic for today, uh, the disabled boat. Did you follow what was going on with the disabled boat in the? In the I, I did not initially know what they were talking about. Yeah, but I think that boat might be on Google Maps. Oh really? So I did have to say. dig into this. Yes, that's very cool. Uh, if we can find a link to that, we'll add that in the description because that's an, fun. There's an object. I don't know if it's the boat. There is an object there. Yeah. Apparently, they give 70 citations where, like, who's writing the, the 69th citation for this, you know, and then thinking to themselves, this matters still. I don't know. Just, but uh, apparently, the owner just seems incapable of removing the boat. That that's, seems clear. Yeah. If you get 70 citations and they're not going to pay those, I don't see how they're ever going to get money from that much of like tickets or whatever from somebody. Yeah. And this, this boat is, I think they said 50 feet long or something. Or it's a big, yeah, like it, not a convenient, not like every person would not have the research that. So it just was not thought through how they were going to do that. Multiple tons, multiple tons. Yeah. Which I think you can get too quickly with a boat, but yeah still uh and so the issue with this boat too is we're as we've mentioned we're in we're in winter it's december yeah yeah yeah. winter is coming so if the boat freezes in place Mm -hmm. it will probably sink so next year we'll be removing a giant sunk boat yeah we'll be diving for undersea treasure that we know does not contain the money to pay for 70 citations apparently because if it did they would have been paid already I, I I thought this was, um, you know, not good that we have a boat in one of our lakes. Yeah, just kind of sitting there, but kind of one of those those funny things of local government of huh, that yeah. happened. Well, and it, it, I think it's a little reassuring that there are still practical problems in the world that everybody agrees the boat needs to go. Like nobody's arguing. Oh, I think the boat should stay. Or <laughs> like, 
the boat needs to go. We don't have an easy way to do that. So we'll have to come up with some kind of engineering solution or bring in somebody from the outside to fix it for us or something. Yeah, 2021 has become the year of the stuck boats. We had the Suez Canal. <laughs> we did, yeah. Um, and now we have Madison's giant boat in one of the yep. parks. Equal interruption to world shipping, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, I mean, I want to follow up to figure out if they ever got the boat removed. It seemed like a large. I think we will. I assume we'll get a follow up on that. So we'll be staying tuned for that. I think we should wrap up our episode for today. That is all the time we have. Um, any parting thoughts for the audience, Sam? Have a happy holidays. Oh, yeah. Happy holidays to everyone. Yeah. And bundle up. It's getting cold. And bundle up. If you are in Madison, I assume you are, but you might not be. If you are in Madison, bundle up, except for those 60 degree days. Yeah. Um, I guess ideally hope the lakes don't freeze for the sake of getting this boat out of the water. Yeah, for the boat. Hope for the boat. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, everyone. This has been Uncommon Council. I'm one of your hosts, Ben Seidensticker, here with Sam West. Have a good night.